Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And of course guys, it is the final race before the F1 summer break, the Hungarian Grand Prix finally coming to us after a week long break and to be honest guys uh, I don't know about you but I think a lot of us probably felt we could have done with a week off of Formula One especially the social media community and of course those involved in the fiery incident in the aftermath of Silverstone between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton and everyone associated with with that but of course as always we're going to get right back into it with a preview of the Hungarian Grand Prix. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, glad to see that you managed to get out of the terrible weather we've been having today. But how are you doing? Yeah, no, you beat me to the chase there. Um, yeah, I've had, I've had some tangles with the uh, with the great British weather. Um, managed to look somehow presentable, uh, apart from obviously, you know, just being lazy and chucking a West Ham shirt on. But yeah. It doesn't look like, an hour ago, I look like a drowned rat. So I can't complain about our current situation. No, that's that's fair enough. I mean, I'm still fortunate enough to be working from home at the moment. Obviously, where I work, it's not uh, quite safe yet for people to be returning, but I'm sure they'll be phasing people back in uh, in due course. And as a result, I was able to just work from home, have the Olympics on in the background. Of course, that is going on and... Uh, yeah, I'd say Team GB are doing rather well at the moment. There's a few yeah. gold medals in there, most notably in the swimming. So, uh, And of course, medals, silver and bronze, equally as brilliant in terms of an achievement for our many athletes who are out there. So congratulations to everybody who has managed to win something. And uh, yeah, if you can hear thunder in the background, I do apologise for that. Not much that we can do about that. We're just very recording. apt. Very apt indeed. Yeah, if you can hear like some yeah. weird noise in the background, that's uh, the thunderstorms going on. So we're trying to keep those to a minimum if we can. But yeah, um, Courtney, have you been watching much of the Olympics at the moment? I have. I was. I was. I was actually hooked on it um, over the weekend. So um, yeah, it's just it's become a slight addiction of mine. But I, I suppose there's far worse addictions to have. Yeah, I would say probably a lot worse. Not that we're going to be getting into any of those in particular. But uh, yeah, it's it's been. A relatively good summer of sport if you're British or even if you're English in particular like us. Um, obviously, England's, let's we'll say, relative success getting to the Euro 2020 final. Of course, the Formula One season has been absolutely brilliant between the top two, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. Of course, we've got the Olympics, which is only just getting underway. So I'm sure there'll be plenty more to enjoy. And of course, wherever you are from around the world, I'm sure you'll have your highlights and some special moments for the Olympic Games to remember for this year in Tokyo. It's a shame that unfortunately we can't really have any spectators there as we do in other events that are going on at the moment. But of course, let's get back into the Formula One story. And incidentally, uh, for those of you, of course, that haven't seen, we recorded a very interesting episode with the big F1 YouTuber Aldous. For those of you familiar with him, obviously a great channel, great content from him. If you are interested in checking that out, make sure to have a look on the channel. Of course, if you are listening to us on Spotify or your favourite podcasting platform, 
you should be able to check that out. It's a really, really great discussion with him on the sprint race, the fallout, the British Grand Prix, and some of the stuff that he's been getting up to on his channel at the moment. I definitely recommend that you check that out. It was really fun recording with Aldas, and uh, hopefully we'll have him on the show again soon. But let's get into the main talking point, the main discussion, Hamilton versus Verstappen part, uh, is it 10 or 11? I think it's the 11th race this season, isn't it? 11, yeah. We are up to 11. It's gone so quick this season. I mean, we say that every year, but this year in particular... It's been a fresh battle every single race this season. And we're now approaching the Hungaro ring, the circuit that is almost like Monaco, but without the barriers on either side. And with that does tend to suggest that we could be going to a circuit that Red Bull were fancy winning. Although that being said, it's very much been a Mercedes playground in the last couple of years. So Courtney, first things first, the Hamilton Verstappen incident. We've had some time off now. I think both camps have had some time to try and perhaps relax a little bit, um, detensify or, you know, de-escalate, if you like, the um, the tensions that have been arising in both camps. And it just seems that whilst that may have been going on as far as the drivers are concerned, the teams, and in particular, Christian Horner and Toto Wolff have been having their back and forth. But for whatever reason, Red Bull are not letting up at the moment. And this is now developed into a formal protest over the penalty that Lewis Hamilton was given at the British Grand Prix, the 10-second time penalty for his part in the incident with Max Verstappen. Of course, he still went on to win the race. So Red Bull are now trying to launch a protest with the FIA and the stewards that Lewis Hamilton should be given a more severe penalty. Now, with that in mind, Corny, I'm I'm just going to go right in with this one. Do you think that Red Bull perhaps... Uh, have a case to argue and perhaps trying to get Hamilton's penalty increase, which of course the aim of that would be to take the win away from him, Silverstone. Or do you feel that this one has kind of run its course and the best thing they should do is just, you know, lay down their guns, if you like, and just focus on the Grand Prix and the championship? Because they're still in a very healthy position at this point in time in both championships. Yeah, I, I, I think the behaviour by Red Bull is ridiculous. Um, the penalty was given... At the time, it was a first lap incident, and you know there, there always is leniency with first lap incidents. But I, I personally do believe it was a racing incident. You know, and actually, the, the more that we actually look back on the footage, you know, people put all these graphics together of the incident and everything, the more it does seem more 50-50 than some people like to believe. And I just think there's been a very dangerous narrative of Red Bull regarding this incident from the very start. And they don't seem to be letting up. And I don't think it reflects well on them as a franchise at all. It makes them look petulant. It makes them look unprofessional. And you're right. They're in a, they're in a position now where good leadership, okay, good leaders would be thinking, you know what? What happened there was awful. We have our opinions on it, but we're going to use this as a way of motivating to, the team to win this championship. Go to, go to Hungary, get some payback on track, and then take this into the rest of the season. That's a good mindset to have. But they've still got their mind stuck in Silverstone by trying to uh, punish Lewis further. And, it's, and it could actually prove to be a distraction from the main aim of the season, which is to win the championship. Yeah, absolutely right. And it could well be a distraction. I mean, for me, I can understand why they may feel aggrieved over what has happened. I mean, you know, for a bit of history this season, we have seen... Mercedes over and over again launch one protest after the other with Red Bull, whether it be the flexi wings, whether it be with the engine. Um, I'm just trying to think of the other ones off the top of my head. I think I saw a tweet someone put over the top, you know, the uh, the low rate cars being targeted with the regulations, slowing down the pit stops, which of course we should say has now been reversed. So we're not going to have pit stops from the Hungarian Grand Prix being um mandated that they have to meet a specific time of reaction to slow them down. So that's not going to happen anymore, which thank goodness for that, because that was ridiculous. But, um, you know, so this is the first time Red Bull have really launched or really tried to lay into Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in particular uh, this season. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily make it right. It's not necessarily tit for tat. But I do think that there are a few reasons why I think Red Bull other reasons why Red Bull are going through this. And first of which is the hefty bill that has obviously come their way to repair the damages. And I think Aldous, it was who mentioned in our last episode, he mentioned it was three quarters of a million, 
We now know, according to Red Bull, it's around £1.3 million or $1.8 million, which is a huge amount of money. That is almost 1% of the entire budget that each team obviously have to adhere to as part of the budget cap for this season. And of course, whilst 1% of a budget doesn't sound like a lot, that is a hefty amount when you're talking about a Formula One team, especially a team like Red Bull, who are used to spending more than twice that much every single season and have now had to find newer ways to, you know, work in a cheaper method, not be so wasteful, try and avoid incidents like they saw. Of course, Mercedes had a similar incident between Bottas and Russell, which has, of course, cost them a similar amount of money to rectify and obviously fix the damages, which can harm their development. So I can understand why Red Bull obviously feel very, very angry and obviously want um, some form of repercussion going Hamilton and Mercedes way. Of course, they can't expect the FIA or Mercedes to give them a check for 650000 to pay half of the bill and say, sorry, guys, here's some money. That's not going to happen. That's not how it works. And so I can understand why Red Bull are doing this. But at the same time, I just feel that unless they present any new evidence, and of course, as part of this um, protest that the FIA and the stewards obviously allow for, it's under the condition that the team that is making the protest has new evidence which wasn't available at the time of the Grand Prix when the original decision was taken. So with that in mind, Corny, I'm going to go on a limb and guess that Red Bull must have something, and I really hope that they do, rather than just wasting time and just saying that we're just protesting because we're not happy. I mean, do you think there's any real chance that the FI and the stewards could actually add an extra time penalty to Lewis Hamilton, which of course would be sufficient enough to take the race victory away from him. The thing I find a little, I'm a little bit uneasy about is if Red Bull, say Red Bull were to win this challenge. Okay. I think that's actually going to cause problems to the racing in the future, because you're going to have situations where every time there's a, even a moderate crash, there's going to be legal action from one team to the other, and it's actually going to start affecting the racing. So I know this is a knock-on effect of the the budget cap, but at the end of the day, we're here to watch racing, good racing, and accidents do happen. And I just think it's dangerous that if we start seeing legal challenges every time there's a there's a crash, you could end up in a position where you're going to have drivers being advised by by their teams to not go for an overtake because the repercussions could be you know, the, the risk could be bigger than like the actual game from get go for an overtake. And I think that's a dangerous path to go down. So I hope for various reasons that this is just more talk from Red Bull, because let's be honest, for years now, from Christian Orna and the people at the very top of Red Bull, there's, there has been a lot of talk. They do like to run their maths. And I'm just hoping this is more of the more of the same what we've been seeing for like a few years. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I just feel that, you know, when it comes to what Red Bull seem to be trying to achieve here, granted, in a way, they are the victims in this. Let's not forget that they're the ones that are facing the hefty bill. Verstappen, obviously, through no fault of his own, to a degree, of course, he had his part to play in that incident as well. It wasn't 100% Hamilton's fault, although he was the one that got the penalty. Um, Red Bull will feel that they're the victims in this, and obviously they want some level of justice, in their opinion. But I just feel like... It just comes a point where you kind of have to just learn to let it go. As angry as you are, channel that frustration into where you can and make sure that you win this race in a way that I think that they can or or most likely to in Verstappen's hands. And then you're going into the summer break with a hefty lead in both championships and thinking about the second half of the season, by and large, you probably will fancy your chances dominating that as well in the way that they did before the Silverstone Grand Prix. So it's a very strange one. I mean... Do you feel that Red Bull are a little bit obsessed with Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton? Because I think they've been so frustrated that Mercedes and Lewis have dominated the way they have. And it's like they want to knock them down at any opportunity. You know, we were talking about historically, and I know we've seen Mercedes do it a lot this season. And, and we are seeing a side to Mercedes we haven't seen for a while. Let's, let, let's, let's make it clear Mercedes have been far, far innocent in this. But let's remember the, the, the challenge that Red Bull made about the DAS system. Last, last, it does seem that they're just they seem to be more focused on Mercedes and Lewis than their own progression. They've had a really good season. Max Verstappen's gone to a different level. They've they've 
finally developed the car that's been at Mercedes and could definitely go on to win the championship, they should be positive. But they, they seem to have this anger towards Mercedes and Lewis, and I, I really don't understand it. I mean, I wouldn't say it was... Um anything personal or an anger towards I mean this is something that's been developing for a while now I mean Christian Horner Mm -hmm. in particular or some people have been calling on social media Karen Horner um which I thought was quite funny actually (laughs) I'm just imagining the Karen wig and everything else on top I want to speak to the manager um Michael Massey somewhere is locked away in the steward's office like just tell him I'm not here tell him I'll come back later um but yeah I think this has been developing for some time and and do you know Mm. I don't want to say that Red Bull in particular are ang- like f- frustrated and obsessed with anger at Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in particular. I just feel that what we've seen this season that's been so interesting and in a way refreshing with Red Bull is the fact that they are prepared, despite the you know um, oh, d- despite the inevitable rule changes that we're going to see next season. Of course, they will require a focus to be shifted onto that so they don't get left behind, but they're literally throwing everything that they possibly can at trying to win this championship, not just for themselves, but for Max Verstappen as well. And I suppose they need to do this to try and secure his services, because I think if they fail and it's possible that there was stuff they could have done to prevent that in Max's eyes, it will corrupt his mind to a degree where he may feel that he needs to go elsewhere and that opportunities may present themselves to another team, not necessarily Mercedes, but whoever seems to do the best job with the new regs. Um, but all that being said, I just feel that this kind of reminds me, or in a way, of 2019 in Canada when Sebastian Vettel, of course, had that off at turn four, trying to defend off against Lewis Hamilton, went through uh, went through the corner, cut the sort of semi chicane, and he rejoined the track in a way that was perceived to be quite dangerous and obstructing Lewis Hamilton. Which, of course, I still believe that it was a fine line, but I think Vettel, it was okay. Um, I think he'd done enough to avoid it being dangerous, but of course the stewards disagree, and I imagine Ferrari still to this day um, believe that Sebastian Vettel won that race. But Ferrari, of course, in the subsequent race, uh, did a similar appeal to what Red Bull were doing to uh, remove the time penalty that Seb got. But the evidence that they provided was the footage of um, Karen Chanduk on the Sky F1 broadcast giving an analysis of the incident, where, of course, he deemed the incident to be not worthy of a time penalty. So... Ferrari used that as their new evidence to submit. And then the uh, stewards in the FIA just dismissed it and said, look, that, that evidence is not admissible. Mm. Which, in a way, I thought was strange because it kind of brought to light things that the stewards didn't actually include in their decision-making. But, of course, it was rather silly. Everyone thinking, oh, what Ferrari, what evidence of Ferrari got? And it just turned out to be footage from a pundit, which I thought was quite funny. Um, but to me, yeah. I, I, I don't know what um, Red Bull are going to use, what evidence. I'll be intrigued to find out what it is. I just hope it's not something along those lines because it's going to be quite embarrassing for them. Incidentally enough, Karen himself actually did say, I'm not going to be providing evidence to Red Bull on this occasion. So if anyone's asking, that's not going to be happening. But um, yeah, it is a very strange thing. But let's get into, obviously, the race weekend itself. As I said, this is a track where I think this season, the way that the form book has been going, and I think the way that the performance chart has been suggesting in terms of who is quickest and who isn't, it does seem like this is a circuit where Red Bull, similar to how they were in Monaco, similar to how they were in Azerbaijan, should fancy their chances of getting another race victory. So with that in mind, Courtney, do you think that it's Max Verstappen's race to lose this weekend? Or do you feel that because of what's happened at Silverstone, this may plant the seed or, or doubt in his mind that may give another opportunity to Lewis Hamilton to, at the very least, be almost on level terms with him going into the second half of the season? Yeah, I think a, a couple of question marks over this weekend would be, yeah, if Fred Bull still in that sort of angry mindset, they could trip over themselves when it comes to you know, strategy or, you know, even the prep for the weekend itself, set up, stuff like that. If they're not fully focused, yes, they've got the advantage, but if they're not fully focused, Mercedes will be hot on their their heels. So they really need to be focused on the racing as a team in order to get the maximum result. Another thing worth worth noting is because of the accident between Lewis and Max, we didn't actually get a good idea of how much Mercedes have caught up with these upgrades they got in. Silverstone. We always expected them to be stronger in Silverstone, 
but we didn't really get I know we had the sprint race but that's not really a true indication of how Mercedes can go on long pace for these upgrades so it'd be interesting to see how Mercedes get on at the Angara Lewis obviously has a fantastic record there winning there eight times already I believe so he likes racing there but I just I just think that Red Bull for two reasons I think they have the package to win I just think they're going to be very keen to make a positive stride forward after last weekend so yeah I would love to see a battle but I expect Max and Red Bull to bounce back this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I mean, all of the hallmarks of this circuit, as I said, it's very much like a Monaco-type circuit without the barriers and the walls, of course. It's still a very treacherous circuit when you get it wrong. Not to say that there's not opportunities to overtake. There certainly is around this circuit. I remember um, in that race, uh, what was it, two years ago when Lewis Hamilton famously went into the pit lane on a two-stopper to chase down Max Verstappen, which eventually caught him and then won the race. So... You know, you it's certainly a circuit that you can make overtakes if you have to. So uh, there is some hope for Mercedes, even if they don't qualify at the front. But you do feel perhaps if Lewis Hamilton is going to get the win this weekend, it will certainly help him a lot more if he's able to put that Mercedes on the front row. And you're right to point out this is a circuit where Lewis Hamilton has been phenomenally dominant. I mean, he's won here eight times. It's a tied record with himself now, of course, winning eight British Grand Prix, and of course, Michael Schumacher winning eight times at the French Grand Prix. So Lewis himself is certainly going for another record as if there weren't many left that Lewis hadn't broken already. And of course, the fabled 100th victory now is within grasp. It literally is one win away from a century of Formula One wins. It's incredible to think that We've had over 1,100 Grand Prix and Lewis Hamilton has won almost 10% of them on his own. Um, That's absolutely crazy statistic. I remember they were brandishing the same thing about Michael Schumacher. It's almost nuts that 20% of races in Formula One's history have been won by those two. Interestingly enough, Courtney, I did see an interesting statistic where um, I think it was motorsport.com that mentioned this. They said that Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher, between them, uh, a race has been won by either one of them in the last 20 years. Of Formula oh, One. Oh, that's mad. That is an incredible stat. And uh, it just shows yeah. the levels that those two are really at compared to practically anyone else that's ever sat in a Formula One car. It really is something. I, 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 I do believe that Max Verstappen will get to that kind of level. I know, I, I know he hasn't even won the championship yet, but I really do believe this guy is going to be the next special thing in this sport. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see any reason why that's not the case. I, I think we should clarify this because... A few of the comments in um, our last episode, um, I can understand why you might think this way, but, but they, uh, a few other people felt that we were saying that we believe Max Verstappen is going to win 10 world championships. We should clarify that yeah. that is a very, very, very huge mountain to climb. And whilst we think it's possible he could, I would be very surprised if Max Verstappen won 10 world championships. I mean, we're talking unprecedented levels of dominance. Not even Hamilton and Schumacher have been able to do that. Of course, it's been possible for both of them, in theory, to win 10 world titles. You know, different reasons that's not happened. So I'd be mega surprised, especially at Max's age, as tender as it is, for him to be able to pull that off. And given the new generation of drivers that we've got coming through, the likes of Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Norris, Russell in particular, to name a few, there are plenty of others, of course, I'd be very surprised if one of those guys wasn't able to pick up a championship every so often here or there, because it's really exciting stuff. So no, we should clarify while we think it's possible, I'd be very surprised if it actually happened and it would require a level of dominance that we have never seen before in the sport for that to be the case. And I just think there's too much talent to be, you know, for that to happen, especially in this new era of cars. But look, let's go back to the talking point at hand, Courtney. So of course we've got Max versus Lewis this weekend, as we expect it to be. Do we feel that there's going to be anyone else that's going to throw their hat into the picture? Um, I'm thinking maybe Sergio Perez might be able to have a better weekend like he did in Baku. Uh, maybe Bottas might have a better weekend. I think he's, you know, he did all right at Silverstone to a degree. Um, he, you know, but he just didn't have the pace to win the race. That's why he let Lewis through. Or do you feel there's going to be a fresh challenge? Perhaps the Ferraris and the McLarens, as they have done at those two circuits I mentioned already, have been very good there. So there is a possibility that we could see a Ferrari or a McLaren in the mix that could upset the order in this race? Yeah, I mean, if, if you, you know, you've already said that Hungary's Monaco about the uh, about the barriers, and we saw how strong uh, McLaren, well, with Lando and Ferrari were there. And 
it looks like both Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc in particular are in great form at the moment. So why not? You know, and let, let's not forget, sometimes in Hungary, you, you get a lot of tangles. There'll be safety cars. And I can imagine somebody like Lando taking advantage of a, of a safety car or two. So he's always been there or thereabouts. And I'm, I'm expecting a special result at some point in the season. Maybe possibly a win for Lando. It, mm. Could it be this weekend in a chaotic race? Why not? Because I, I think a, I think a race win is coming for Lando. And this is a type of circuit where you can get a crazy result like that. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly been very close to getting a big result. Um, McLaren was saying that he could have very easily gone onto the podium at the British Grand Prix if it wasn't for the uh, poor pit stop that they had. Um, I'm not sure if I buy that. I, I mean, Lando was doing a great job. Let's not forget he's been phenomenal this season. But Bottas it probably had a bit more pace than Lando anyway in the race. Of course, if Lando was able to stay ahead of him, I think Bottas might have got him anyway. I think McLaren did have more difficulties on the harder tyres in that second stint. Um and, you know, Lewis was Lewis. Let's not forget people that were complaining about the penalty. Um, I think you've got to factor in to the argument that Hamilton, despite being in a faster car in the Mercedes, was a second a lap quicker than Charles Leclerc was in the Ferrari when they were both going flat out. So it just seemed inevitable in that stint that Hamilton was going to get him as brilliantly as Charles Leclerc was driving. But, um, you know... This weekend, as I said, it present, does present a good opportunity to Ferrari and McLaren. There's that little battle going on between them two outside of the, obviously, the fight for the championship between Red Bull and Mercedes. And, of course, the battle to be the best of the best of the rest, if you like, um, between the Alpines, Alfa Tauris and the Aston Martins, respectively. So there is this element here that Ferrari and McLaren could look at this weekend as a big opportunity to get a big result in the way that Charles Leclerc did last time out Silverstone and Lando Norris has done several times this season. So drawing on that battle, Courtney, with those two teams, where do you think the uh, the big points are going to go this weekend? Do you feel that this is a big opportunity for Ferrari at a circuit that the characteristics might suit their car a bit better? Or do you feel that Lando Norris and, of course, in turn, Daniel Ricciardo could fancy themselves uh, at getting potentially a podium or maybe more so this weekend? I'm certainly expecting a lot from Ferrari, but I just I, I feel that Lando has the has the edge over them still. I I think the the winner, shall we say, between the two teams is very much reliant on we you know Danny Ricciardo. He's he's definitely improved, but you know in in a weekend where we expect Ferrari the Ferrari to be strong, we really need to see Danny Ricciardo up there with Lando. I, I, as I said, I think Lando still has the edge over the, the three other drivers in this battle. You know, has been sort of half carrying the team up to this stage. And, you know, he's he's ahead of Bottas, isn't he, in the championship? Yeah, he's first. I think Lando's yeah. ahead of Bottas. Yeah, that's incredible. So, you know, that, so, you know, he's, he's ahead of a Mercedes. You know, he's, he really has been fantastic. And I just expect him to have that edge. But Leclerc, Leclerc does, he's, he's a big race driver. If the opportunity comes along, he will be there to take it. So, I've, I'd like to see a good. I'd like to see a good scrap between Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc because, despite the battle, we haven't really seen that much, have we? We haven't really seen Lando Norris up against Leclerc yet, or even Sainz, really. No, we haven't. Um, we sort of got a little bit of a taster when Carlos Sainz potentially could have caught Lando Norris at the uh, the Austrian mm. Grand Prix, but he saw just an, all the uh, no, not so. the Austrian one, the yeah. Styrian one. Sorry, Lando was in a completely different league in that race. Um, yeah, the Styrian race, of course, Carlos Sainz could have caught him, but he got himself lapped by Hamilton, which kind of compromised the rest of his stint and by the time Lewis generously allowed him to go through it was already too late for science to do anything about it but you're right we haven't really had a wheel-to-wheel battle at this point between Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris perhaps with the exception of the Imola Grand Prix where Charles Leclerc just couldn't get by he just couldn't overtake Lando in that McLaren and um, of course as we know that left him prey and vulnerable to Lewis Hamilton who was able to make another comeback drive in that race so there's plenty there to be excited out between these two teams. And I think, once again, Courtney, as you pointed out, we are going to see another big battle between those two. And I think at a circuit like this, given the characteristics of it, and obviously where we've seen the form go at circuits like this, I think this is a big, big weekend for Ferrari. I feel like, you know, as, as I said, I don't think I'm overestimating their chances that a race win could be possible for them this weekend if they manage to get qualifying right. But at the same time, 
it's going to have to depend on what they can do with the opportunity. I think this season, Ferrari, as Lando pointed out, have had a very strong car, but they've not been able to always get the most out of it or capitalise on the opportunities that have presented themselves to them. I'm thinking Monaco is a big, big example where Leclerc did a yeah. great job to get it on pole position. And despite the fact that Carlos Sainz come in second place, there's a good argument to suggest that if Leclerc had been able to start that race, he could have won. It would have took some doing for Max Verstappen to overtake him at Monaco. And maybe Max would have thought, well, given how poorly Lewis is doing in the race, I'll probably just settle for second rather than risk it all to try and win it. Um, so this is a good opportunity for Ferrari. Leclerc has been phenomenal um, in the last couple of races. I think this weekend is going to be another opportunity for him to get some big points as he did in Silverstone. Um, but we can't forget. We can't forget Ricardo. We can't forget, he did a great job at Silverstone. He held back Carlos Sainz. He made use of that McLaren engine very, very well. So there's a really good battle there. And I, I think Sainz will fancy his chances this weekend too. A quick note on Lando, actually. We should point out that Lando Norris currently ha um, is the, I think he has the longest uh, consecutive races where he scored points at the moment. Um, 15 Grand Prix in a row uh, that he's scored points in succession uh, dating back, of course, to last season. Um, the next drive on that list, Courtney, after Lando, is Fernando Alonso, interestingly enough, with five consecutive races in a row. So there's a huge gulf between Lando and everybody else in terms of consistently scoring in the points. And I think, as you mentioned, Courtney, this is kind of the biggest reason, I think, why he's currently sitting third in the championship, ahead of not only Bottas in the Mercedes, but Sergio Perez in the Red Bull as well. So it's a huge, huge achievement definitely going to have to do an episode where we talk about Norris to see what we yeah. think of him in more detail and more depth and try and see if we can get a more esteemed guest that knows a bit more about Lando Norris to kind of give their take on him but it's certainly been a bit of a revelation this season young Lando Norris certainly as I said my driver of the season but I'm really been impressed with his consistency more than anything else yeah and given you know if you look at Daniel Daniel Cardo He's a very good driver and um, he's made him look average in the first half of the season. You know, yes, Daniel's getting to grips with a new car and he's slowly but surely doing that. But I've, I've said this a lot already. It's actually a testament to Lando's ability and what he's shown this season. that he's actually made Daniel look worse than he's actually been. Yeah. You know, he really has been, he really has been something else. Um, I, I had my doubts a couple of seasons ago if he had the potential to be a world champion. But he really is showcasing the talent to be, with the right machinery, of course, a future world champion. I'd just like to go back to Ferrari quickly, Adam, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. If you think about the next two races after the summer break, it actually really increases the importance of this race weekend because it's well known that Ferrari had the worst engine given what happened in 2019 with the with the protest, wasn't it, about the with the engine. Mm -hmm. So since then, Ferrari have probably had the worst engine and they probably will struggle at Spa and Monza compared to most other circuits. So they will definitely need to get a good haul of points this weekend to keep up with McLaren, given the next two races, you probably expect McLaren to have strong races. Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, I mean, fortunately for them, you see the next two races, I think we go to Spa after the summer break and then I think we actually go to Zandvoort in Holland after that so oh yeah ferrari oh might, yeah i'm so yeah. used to it being spa and monza yeah you're going to be seeing the orange army in full flow i mean if we thought the atmosphere for lewis hamilton was mega at silverstone of course and it really really was something special i wish i was a part of it but of course there's always next year wait till you see the atmosphere of holland i mean i know you're not a fan of it i know you're not a fan of the orange army but i cannot wait i always love a really good atmosphere regardless of who their partisan to um, so it's really going to be interesting to see how that goes down. Ferrari could fancy the chances of doing well at Zandvoort. It's a very tight and twisty circuit. I wouldn't say one that is sort of able, I suppose, to uh, for Formula One cars of the modern era. I think Formula One cars are quite wide, so this could be another circuit where qualifying could be rather critical yeah. for the race. And it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. It's definitely worth a good shot. Hopefully in future years when the cars change a little bit, the circuit may be a bit more appealing for that, but it's certainly going to be fun to watch in qualifying, I will say. But of course, the Italian Grand Prix, as you pointed out, Courtney, and it's going to be the second venue for our sprints for the sprint series in Formula One as well. It's certainly not going to be an easy track for Ferrari. And uh, as you mentioned, down on straight line speed, obviously some still some drag issues with the car. But um, that being said, they've been able to address 
a lot of the weaknesses that they've had this season, particularly with tyres and straight line speed at circuits, you'd think they'd do bad at, like Austria, for example. So, and Silverstone, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, absolutely. Silverstone, they probably, yeah. I mean, it's a high downfall circuit, Silverstone, as well as high speed is why we love it. But um, Ferrari have been able to rise and meet those challenges this season to a degree. I mean, the French Grand Prix was certainly an exception and Portimao as well. But by and large, Ferrari have done a very good job to mitigate those weaknesses. And hopefully for them, that will continue because I think that's going to be key in this battle. If they are going to beat McLaren, not only are they going to have to take advantage when the opportunity provides itself or presents itself to them more than they have done in the first half of the season, but it's just to continue to mitigate those weaknesses at tracks where McLaren might think it's a slam dunk that we've got Ferrari at, say, Monza, and the Ferrari turn up and put one of their cars on the front two rows and all of a sudden McLaren are like, well, you know, we've got to do something to beat them. So it's a really intriguing battle. I'm absolutely loving it. It's just as feisty as the battle at the front between Red Bull and Mercedes, just a a lot more respectful, clearly, between both camps Mm. than, um, uh, than it is at the front between the front two. But then these two have had experience of fighting for championships amongst each other. So I'm sure there's a common found respect especially when things get tasty. But um, we haven't had that yet, so hopefully we get something like that between those two teams. But um, look, we could go on about this all day. We've said this a lot, but let's talk about the best of the best of the rest. I think that's right. Um, Alpha Tauri, Alpine. We'll roll, we'll roll with it. Yeah, we always do. That's kind of how we roll with this show. Anyone that's yeah. followed us for a while know, knows what we're about. We just kind of roll with it. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about... Alpha Tauri, Alpine and Aston Martin. Conveniently, we put these three together because they're having their own little mini championship right now. And um, it's very much, whilst Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri have been showing good pace this season, obviously benefiting from those podiums that they got from Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly, respectively, at the Baku Grand Prix. It's very much been advantage Alpine in the sense where both of their drivers have now been able to start scoring points. Fernando Alonso in particular being the staff of that team. So it's very much game on between these three teams. So, Corny, I'm going to put you on the spot here. How do you see it going this weekend between these three teams? We've not been great at predicting who's going to come out on top. Historically, we haven't. I think the last race we predicted, uh, I think we both went with Alpha Tauri. And then I think Lee, who was on the show with yeah. us, I think he, I think, to be fair, I think he went with Aston Martin. Um, I can't remember if I'm right. I might be wrong, but it was Alpine that ended up uh, winning the spoils uh, between those three teams. So is the momentum shifting now? Is Alpine looking the most likely team to win this battle? Or do you feel we're still going to see some more from the likes of Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri as we did earlier in the season? It looks like Fernando Alonso has given them the edge. You know, the way we just said about Lando with McLaren, Fernando Alonso is certainly giving... Alpine and Edge, but you know, again, we're talking about track characteristics. Let's not forget how well Aston Martin did at Monaco. So, why not? Why can't they have a strong race? So, I'm expecting it to be, I reckon, Fernando Alonso will spearhead this group, but I think the Aston Martins are going to be stronger here than they have been in other circuits. Yeah, I mean, you, you are right to point out Aston Martin definitely were pretty good at Monaco. Of course, the highlight for Seb Vettel getting his first points for the team. And Lance Stroll becoming a meme, of course, with the uh, replays covering up the battle between uh, Vettel and Gasly, ironically, I think it was at the time. But um, yeah, this has been a very interesting season between these three teams. At different points of it, one of those three have been the dominant force. And it this seems the momentum is shifting towards Alf, um, so Alpine, I should say. And I think by and large, that's because of the uh, impressive resurgence of you like of Fernando Alonso we kind of expected Fernando to need a few races to find his feet you know be comfortable in a Formula One car again we wasn't sure how good Fernando was going to be in his return of course we had to hold caution in our estimation owing to what happened with Michael Schumacher when he made a similar return with Mercedes back in 2010 but unlike that Fernando with the machinery that he has available has really looked like he's extracting the absolute maximum he can out of this car and we are seeing hallmarks and traits of the Fernando of old the Fernando that we love the two-time world champion could have been several more in the early 2010s of course Bain is Ferrari days but um he seems to be the real trump card in this battle right now wouldn't you say Courtney Yeah 100% as I said before he's, he's he is the Lando Norris of this group um, I'm really hoping Sebastian Vettel somehow becomes a part of that because I want to be seeing more Sebastian Vettel than other Alonso battles because they've always been tasty. You know, we have got a couple of championship battles between them and it'd just be nice to see that happen again. 
I think I think Sebastian Vettel. I think if Aston Martin makes some kind of movement, he could he could be involved. But I just I just think Alonso's just he's he's really found a, a level of confidence that we haven't seen for some time actually, and he's really enjoying it. Well, he's really enjoying this uh, this car that he's um, driving at the moment. Yeah, he certainly seems to be getting a lot out of it, and it's certainly I think it's he said himself that he's had to kind of find where this car is good and find where this car is and kind of work around that and adapt his driving skills to do that. And that's a hard thing to do. I make it sound like it's it's easy. And Fernando probably makes it look easy because he's that good. But it really is a hard thing to do. Some drivers don't actually ever uh, find a way to, you know, change the way that they drive to make the car work. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo at the moment has obviously been going through that a lot this season. Um, so it's certainly not an easy thing to do. So... For Fernando Alonso to be able to do that with his experience, with his age as well, um, amongst the field of much younger drivers, it's so, so impressive. It really, really is. And uh, there's no telling how high Fernando can go. For all we know, Alpine could produce a brilliant car next season and we could get Fernando back in a world championship fight, which would be amazing for people to see. Um, not something I think we predicted, but certainly is. Um, Sebastian Vettel, you're right, Courtney. It would be nice to see Seb really back in the fight again. He did have a good patch of form for a while, but um, he had another Spinala moment at uh, the beginning of the British Grand Prix. Of course, he was wheel-to-wheel with Fernando Alonso in Luffield and uh, obviously got a bit too uh, hasty on the throttle coming out of the corner. The back end steps out and uh, he becomes another meme, really, Seb Vettel. So um, hopefully those incidents are few and far between, but it just seems that he does have that still lingering over him at the moment when he goes wheel to wheel with another car he just seems to lose his concentration for just the smallest amount and then ends up losing the car i think that's always been a slight weakness to his game even when he was dominating with red bull there's always the question can sebastian vettel handle overtaking and he was at red bull he was decent he wasn't awful by by any means but i think if you sort of look at sebastian vettel's attributes in a in a race car you'd probably put overtaken as one of his weaknesses but as one of his biggest weaknesses so i'm not surprised to see some of the incidents that we've seen with him in the past couple of years no taking away as a premium talented he is though mm. i mean i would say for me i think that element of his uh sort of his craft if you like is more the defensive or will-to-will action i think there's something that over the years he struggled with even his red bull days i remember um the, yeah. Was it 2012 in the Canadian Grand Prix? Or 2011, I should say, Canadian Grand Prix. Um, the last lap, of course, when with, uh, he was standing with Jensen Button and he made that mistake going offline and it cost him the race. And, um, you know, Seb himself, when he feels he's in control, he's a very cool customer and he's as good as they come at controlling a race. I, I, I'll be honest, I think he's probably even better than the likes of Michael Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton at being able to control a race when you've got the car underneath you can mm. just go. Um I know people say in the Red Bull days it was a lot easier, but I think in his Ferrari days when he didn't always have the best car, Canada 2019 was a great example. Of course, other than that mistake, it was a great example not having the best car, but still being able to control a race when you're out in front. That was literally Seb's bread and butter, if you like. But um, yeah, wheel-to-wheel with other drivers is something that has, for the last couple of years, has really plagued him, especially when he's been up against Lewis in particular in the past. So hopefully he can just find a way to sort of eradicate that part of his driving you know driving because it does in this championship it's going to cost points and those are points right now that Aston Martin cannot afford to lose at this point when you've got Alpha Tauri doing what they're doing Pierre Gasly const, you know constantly a threat and Yuki Tsunoda seems to be finding form as well against Alpine so we'll just have to wait and see and that goes down um let's go to the final battle if you like in the field we've got the alphas we've got the williamses and we've got the Hasses. um the big story at the moment corny constantly surrounding the paddock is mostly at williams um what will happen at williams next season there seems to be this expectation that at some point we will get this formal announcement that george russell will be stepping into the mercedes next season with possibly valtteri bottas going the other way but there have been some rumors lately that um alfa romeo might present an opportunity for Valtteri Bottas mm-hmm. to go there. I mean, I've asked you this a few times before, Courtney, but if Bottas does get replaced by George Russell, do you see it likely that Bottas will go to Alfa Romeo instead of going back into Williams? The only the only 
possible there's two possible reasons why he would go there. First of all, if uh, no offense, if there's nowhere else to go. That could be it's still Formula One drive, so you might think, yeah, you know what, they could be a solid midfield team. Or because they have been spared, they well, he has been spotted, hasn't he? Speaking with people from uh, Alfa Romeo, maybe maybe they feel like they've got a few tricks up their sleeves for next season because you know we're not going into a normal season next season. We're going into a lot of unknowns, you know. Famously with um, with Braun in two thousand and nine, we're looking at all these teams thinking, could they be the Braun of twenty twenty two? So maybe maybe he's been told a few things because I remember when Lewis when Lewis left McLaren, a lot of people, me included, were thinking, why the hell is he leaving McLaren? They're one of the top teams to join a team that were pretty much midfield at the time. And uh, Ross Braun had a conversation with Lewis saying, no, we've got an exciting future at this team. We've got a few tricks up our pastries. Come and join us and you'll be successful. And the rest is history. So unless Alfa Romeo knows something that the rest of us don't, I'll, I'll be very surprised if Alfie Bossas is uh, going to join them for... Uh, you know, if he thinks it's going to be successful. But who knows? Who knows? I, I, I think there's going to be one or two surprises next season. Yeah, certainly. And I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, Of course, we're going to be discussing this in a bit more detail in a future episode over the summer break where we're going to do a bit of a review of the F1 driver market. Of course, silly season hasn't exactly started as early as it did last year. I remember um, it kind of started before the season even started with the likes yeah. of Seb Vettel leaving and of Ferrari and uh, signs replacing him and Ricardo, of course, going to McLaren in turn. So it's certainly a lot later this season. And of course, there are going to be the headline moves, but there have been a lot of drivers that have kind of surfaced in the driver market, not necessarily drivers in Formula One at the moment that could find themselves on the grid in 2022. It's Williams particularly uh, an area of interest for a lot of drivers at the moment. So we will be talking about that in a bit more detail in a future episode. But in terms of the race itself, Courtney, obviously George Russell been brilliant the last couple of races in Austria and Syria. He was so close to getting points there. In Silverstone, he was brilliant in qualifying. It just wasn't able to replicate that level of pace in the sprint race or the actual main race itself. Do you feel that Hungary might present another opportunity for George Russell, perhaps to get a point? Or do you feel that this is a circuit that they will probably struggle to be in contention this weekend? Yeah, I think it could be a struggle. I think what we're seeing in this williams Alfa Romeo battle is that Williams, particularly with George Russell, seem to be a lot better on a Saturday than a struggle on a Sunday, whereas with Alfa Romeo, they're quite the opposite. They're nowhere on a Saturday. Then on a Sunday, they always seem to be on the cusp of getting points, like 11th, 12th, possibly 13th, which isn't bad for a team in their size. So, yeah, I, I, I think Alfa Romeo will probably have the edge this weekend. Obviously, I'm very much hoping that George Russell can do it. But I think George Russell is relying on, I said earlier on about safety cars. I think George Russell is going to have to rely on a bit of luck with strategy in order to get, if if, if, if it's going to happen here, he's going to need a lot more luck compared to other circuits, let's say. And let's not forget, uh, this is one of the circuits, I think George Russell got his first Q2 appearance. I might be wrong in this, but I think if I remember rightly, I think it was something like one of his first Q2 appearances in qualifying. Hungary so he is a bit of an expert around this track particularly in qualifying mm. he seems to be an expert around most tracks in qualifying in that car at the moment I mean that Q3 performance in Silverstone if it were me and I needed any convincing about George Russell's pace if he was going to be able to do it in a top car that Q3 appearance in qualifying at the British Grand Prix would have sold it for me right then and there I would have just I'd have been tempted to just put him in the Mercedes for the next race anyway just forget it but um, no with the greatest respect to Valtteri of course he's still doing a relatively good job at Mercedes so of course we can't count that out there's every chance that he could be at Mercedes next season as much as I'd love to see George in it um, the sport would be a much poorer place without Valtteri in a competitive car it must be said as well so We'll have to wait and see how that develops, and we'll talk a bit more about that in the uh, DNF1 transfer special, if you like, call it something like that, um, over the summer break. But um, Alfa Romeo, I mean, we already talked about them in a bit of depth anyway, but where do you think they're going to end up, Courtney? Do you reckon it's going to be another PA team for Kimi and then ends up in P11 by the end of the race, or perhaps Giovinazzi could sneak a point? Yeah. Yeah, they they seem they seem to be the most predictable team on the entire grid at the moment, apart from Haas, maybe. Yeah, I mean they, they did. Did they score points in Monaco? I'm trying to think. Um, 
Was it Kimmy that got P10 or P10? I can't remember. I, I think they were very... If they didn't, they were very close. I'm sure one of them got a point in Monaco. I'm trying to think. I know they got points in Imola. Um, I think Giovinazzi got a point in Imola. I'm not, I can't remember in Monaco. I'm sure one of them did. Um, I might be wrong, and they might be very, very close. But um, they have been quite handy at tight and twisty circuits. And we always thought that this Alpha um, was trying to run the Ferrari engine a bit more... Um, uh, a bit richer, a bit more powerful than the Ferraris were themselves. So, you know, this could be a good race for Alpha. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, Haas, uh, I don't think you and I are expecting miracles from them. I think for them, the same it's the same plan, really. Just go out yeah. there. You know, you can race each other, finish the race, you know, for the sponsors and everything Hope for else. a miracle. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, interestingly enough, Nikita Mazabin in British Grand Prix did get the better of Mick Schumacher. Um, we didn't see the overtake on TV. Apparently Nikita himself reckoned it was one of the best overtakes he'd done in his life. So I imagine it must have been good. The sort of overtakes Nikita was used to doing in Formula 2. I imagine it must have been good if he's raising, if he's crediting himself that much with an overtake on Mick Schumacher. But um, yeah, for them, it's, it's a really strange one. They turn up to races. It's a great group. Great team, great team principal in Gunther Steiner. Two very good young drivers, but of course, you know, the car just isn't able to compare to the potential that there is in that team. But um, the only story I could remember coming out from that, I think Mick Schumacher complaining about a crooked seat. He was having issues with that for a while. Apparently, he reckons that's going to be sorted for the Hungarian Grand Prix. So it'll be interesting to see if that does return any performance at all it might do or you might feel more comfortable and over the course of a race stint that might translate into a couple of seconds over a 30 lap stint or something which of course if that is the case will always be a win-win so for Haas it's, it's mostly about just completing the races with as uh, few incidents to complain about as possible and just prepare for next season I'd imagine that, I think that's, that was a plan from pre-season, to be honest. You know, I, I think Haas were one of the first teams to say that their minds are already on next season. And I suppose they have to, given the small budget that they had. And I'll be really intrigued to see what they do next season. I think that's going to be the team that, whilst I obviously have interest in other teams to see how they get on, this is going to be the team that, when testing starts on uh, the 2022 season, uh, incidentally, this this could happen at two venues next season. Of course, that is a story that has been doing the rounds. Um I have to wait for confirmation, but I will be interested to see how that Haas performs as soon as it leaves the garage because that's the car that's had arguably the most development. So in theory, with yeah. a you know a budget cap where everyone has the same amount to spend, of course, facilities are different, but um, the Haas facilities are certainly not one to laugh at. I expect them to be rather competitive or at least in the midfield somewhere as, as they hope to. So it will be interesting to see. Um, a very interesting story, Courtney, I was seeing online um, regarding the finale this season. Now, at the moment, as far as we are aware, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is still set to be staged as the finale this season. But it does seem in recent days that reports have been coming out talking about not only a race in Qatar to replace one of the uh, races, replace Australia, um, the Qatar race that they're using Doha, I think, to where the MotoGP riders used to go on, similar mm-hmm. to how they did with Mugello, that could be included. But also, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix could be moved forward and swapped around with Jeddah in Saudi Arabia because at the moment, I think, Abu Dhabi, I think it's on the orange or red list, I think, for UK travel, if I'm not mistaken. And I think there is a concern that it could be by the time they go there, and of course, will require a quarantine period, which means that it'd be better off for them to go a bit earlier rather than travel from there to to Saudi Arabia to there and, of course, have to miss the race. So, I mean, what do you make of that? Is that something that you're really too bothered about? Because it's two circuits that we've all respected, Jeddah, because we haven't had a race there. I'm not exactly looking forward to it in terms of a contest. No. No, it'd be... It'd be I mean, it depends on how the championship goes. You know, it'd be nice to get as many races as possible. But it'd be a shame if Lewis and Max are, like, neck and neck going into that last race and then on a circuit where they can't really race each other. Mm-hmm. At least in the Abu Dhabi, particularly with the changes they're making this season, you know you will be able to get some good racing. But yeah, if it go if it goes to Jeddah then it's the championship could be decided on a Saturday and no one wants to see that really. Yeah, I mean when I remember watching the video of the uh sort of demo lap if you like of Jeddah when it was first announced I kind of got Valencia vibes at the European Grand Prix there Mm. and I mean that wasn't the most exciting circuit in the world but it did have that tight twisty fast final sector which was quite cool in modern day Formula 1 cars which are much bigger than they were back in 2012 
Um, I can't imagine that being a fortress for overtaking. That being said, that's probably my invite to go to the Jeddah Grand Prix withdrawn by the uh, Saudi Arabian Racing Commission, whatever they're called. So, um, but no, uh, we'll have to wait and see if that story develops into anything, and we'll just have to, uh, well, react to it as and when we find out what's going on. Um, so, for the final part of the episode, Courtney, as we often do, we always go with the predictions for the top three. So, who do we think is going to get on pole position, and who do we think is going to be in the top three this weekend? Max pole, and then I'm going to say Max first. Lewis second and Lando third. Okay, that's um interesting one. Um, and to be honest, mm-hmm. I'm I want to say I'm going to agree, but I'm not going to be boring. I'm going to go probably where most of our followers would imagine I'm going to go with this one. But I think yeah, Verstappen pole, Verstappen wins, and I think it will be a comfortable win for Verstappen. I think he will just get his head down if they can avoid a collision at turn one between him and Lewis Hamilton. I think if he can get away from him early on then I think that will be the catalyst. He needs to just get on with the race, dominate from the front and take the win as well. In second place, I'm going to go a different route. Based on the reasons I said already, similar hallmarks to Monaco, I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc to finish in P2. I think, as I said, I think Ferrari could look at this Grand Prix as a circuit where I think a podium is very much in the realms of possibility. And owing to issues Mercedes have had in the slower corners I think that could hurt them this weekend I mean I could be wrong they've usually been very strong at Mon um sorry the slower circuits in the past Hungary they were very strong they have been for a while now but um I I just think this season the way that the regulations have affected certain cars particularly the low rig ones like the Mercedes in particular I think this is a circuit that they may have less joy than perhaps we were expecting but that being said I'm still going to go with Hamilton to finish in P3 I think that win at the British Grand Prix, really invigorated that sort of fire that we kind of often wait for in Lewis Hamilton in these kind of battles. He usually has that moment, that catalyst moment that really sets him off for the rest of the season. I think we saw it in 2018 at the German Grand Prix when he won there from 14th on the grid. Of course, more remembered for Sebastian Vettel's crash. Uh, We had that in, um, I think it was 2017 as well, at Singapore. Uh, when the two Ferraris went together with Verstappen in that race. And I think we may have seen it at this race at Silverstone, the reaction, the celebration, what it meant to Lewis on top of everything else, when it's been a difficult year by his standards because of how intense this championship has been. This could have been the moment that he's needed to really ignite his championship. That being said, I think if the Hamilton resurgence is going to come alive in the second half of the season, it's going to start in the second half of the season. I think Verstappen is going to be with a red-hot favourite. Um, even if the weather mm-hmm. is a bit difficult, because of course they said it might rain on Sunday, which could be interesting, but we've been promised wet weather in certain Grand Prix this season, and then it's ended up being bone dry and 30 degrees. So exactly. I'm not expecting anything different. Exactly. I mean, we got rain last year, and uh, Verstappen very nearly didn't make it to the grid. Of course, if it weren't for his Red Bull crew, he wouldn't have done. Um, but no, this season, I'm, I'm very much expecting put in my money on Max Verstappen this weekend. And for those of you that have followed this podcast for a while, will know that I am terrible at making predictions historically in terms of race winners this season. So Lewis fans, take that as a sign that perhaps I'll be wrong again and Lewis will get the win. But what do I know? Obviously, of course. Um, before we wrap up, Courtney, is there anything you wanted to add before we sign off for this one? Uh, George Russell in the points. No, I'm joking. I don't know if he's going to happen this weekend. <laughs> I forgot to ask about the bold opinion, Courtney. So, uh, uh, okay. yeah. what is the bold opinion Courtney are you going to go George Russell in the points or are you thinking of something different this week I think I'm I'm, I'm, ex- I'm expecting an Aston Martin to be highly unexpected I think I think maybe maybe Seb maybe, maybe Seb might be able to get top six top seven okay I'm I'm probably yeah. going to I mean I do joke about it on this podcast but I'm going to go with an Alfa Romeo in the points this weekend I think it could be Giovinazzi I know Kimmy's been performing well, mm. but Gio's been all right in the slow speed circuit, so I think he might do well this weekend. So I'm going to go with a Gio in Giovinazzi in the top 10 this weekend. But um, of course, yeah. guys, um, if you have enjoyed this episode, please do give a like and consider subscribing to the channel if you are watching us on YouTube. Of course, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform, please consider following us and leave a like. And uh, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform and you are able to leave a review, please leave a five-star review because it allows us to be seen by more people that obviously would want to be tuning in to hear us talk about Formula One, as many fans often do with their own podcast relating to motorsports. So please, if you can, please deliver us a five-star review. We will be reading 
shout outs out for those of you that do leave us a five star review. So please, please, please make sure to do that for us. And we'll read a shout out for you in the next podcast episode. But of course, guys, that's all that's left to say from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe. And until next time, we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.